I'm Lauren McCarthy, and you're listening to Swan Song, a true crime podcast. Timothy Kreitcher was a man who was very good at compartmentalizing, at showing people only the side of himself he wanted them to see. To those close to him, they saw a caring and compassionate EMT who saved lives and delivered babies. His victims saw a very different side. Kreitcher was a serial rapist, committed multiple home invasions and robberies, and murdered at least 10 women. He chose victims randomly and attacked in multiple geographic locations, including in Missouri, Illinois, Kentucky, and Pennsylvania. This made it difficult for police to connect the crimes. Adding to that difficulty, Kreitcher also didn't seem to have a victim preference as far as age, race, size, etc. Kreitcher worked on the Jackson County Ambulance Service in Southern Illinois from 1976 to 1979. A former EMT who worked with Kreitcher said all the EMTs knew Kreitcher had spent time in prison, but they assumed he paid his debt to society. Kreitcher eventually told his co-workers he was with an underage girl and her dad came in and there was an altercation. What actually happened was, while Kreitcher was a Navy cook based in the Great Lakes Naval Base in North Chicago, Illinois, he broke into a Waukegan, Illinois woman's home, raped her, then stabbed her with a 10-inch pair of scissors for not cooperating, while she was holding her baby in her arms. While he was awaiting trial for that crime, his wife Barbara filed for divorce and gave birth to their daughter Charlotte. He was convicted and spent years in prison. While serving his time, he obtained an associate's degree and began working as an inmate EMT at Cairo Padco Community Hospital. In 1976, he was released from prison for good behavior. After being released, he started working as an EMT. He was hired with three years of experience as an Illinois Department of Corrections inmate EMT. Kreitcher had friends, and even a girlfriend. He also enrolled in classes at Southern Illinois University. Outward appearances would have suggested that Kreitcher was a rehabilitated man. However, during this time, he began committing burglaries and home invasions. During one home invasion in 1977, Kreitcher stole a 38 caliber pistol. When his girlfriend broke up with him, it seems that he lost his mind. He made a decision to go out and rape again. In the summer of 1977, one of Kreitcher's friends and co-workers asked him to be a groomsman at his upcoming wedding. Kreitcher agreed, and that day he decided, before attending the wedding festivities, he would go out and assault a woman. He shot and killed mother and daughter, Mary and Brenda Parsh, after sexually assaulting them in their family home. He later stated he didn't know the daughter, Brenda, would be home, 
which made sense as Brenda had just flown in from Wisconsin to Missouri, where her father was hospitalized and recovering from a surgery. Brenda was born on June 28, 1950, to Floyd and Mary Parsh. She was gorgeous, a cheerleader in high school, and later became a beauty queen in a pageant in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. She wanted to work in the fashion industry and moved to Wisconsin to become a fashion buyer. She was described as a beautiful girl inside and out. Brenda's loving mother, Mary Parsh, was born on April 13, 1919, in Alton, Illinois. She married Floyd Parsh, and together they had two daughters. Brenda was the youngest. On Friday, August 12, 1977, Mary Parsh left her husband Floyd at the hospital and went to pick Brenda up from the airport. Floyd said after his wife and daughter failed to show up, he called the family home. Brenda answered and seemed upset and a little distracted. She said, I love you, Daddy, and then hung up the phone. A neighbor later reported hearing several loud pops around 11 p.m. Friday night, and another neighbor stated several dogs were barking around that same time. After three days of failing to show up at the hospital, a neighbor went to check on the women. The neighbor found Mary and Brenda deceased with gunshot wounds to their heads, later determined to be from a 38 caliber weapon. They were nude and face down on the master bed with their hands bound behind their backs. They were already decomposing as it was the summer and the house did not have air conditioning. The keys to the house were still in the front door, suggesting the women were ambushed as they returned home from the airport. About $150 was stolen from the women's purses, but other valuables were left in plain sight in the home. Police worked diligently to try to solve this horrific double homicide, but they struggled. They failed to find any obvious motive, and the two women didn't appear to have any enemies. Brenda's boyfriend endured a two-and-a-half-hour polygraph and intense questioning. He was quickly ruled out as a suspect. Police checked the flight logs to see who else was on the plane with Brenda on her trip from Wisconsin to Missouri and looked into all of their backgrounds. The police chief stated he began developing a profile of the killer, although he had not contacted a criminal psychologist. He stated the killer was probably in his late teens or early 20s and was tidy and wants to inflict pain and enjoys watching people suffer. One interesting clue found was that the killer entered through a bedroom window which had been broken. The window was only about 10 inches wide, meaning only a slender person could fit through it. By the end of August, police reduced the number of detectives working on the case from five to two, and the case quickly grew cold. Brenda's father and Mary's husband, Floyd, who had been hospitalized when they were murdered, passed away himself in 1981, never having gotten answers as to who killed his family. The police chief stated, I felt very badly he died not knowing. It's a failure on my part, but I didn't fail because of a lack of time devoted to the case. After the murder of these two women, Kreitzer went to his co-worker's bachelor party and continued with his life as if nothing had happened. 
His friends and co-workers didn't suspect a thing. In 1977, 21-year-old Sheila Cole was a student at Southeast Missouri State University in Cape Girardeau, studying zoology and chemistry. She hoped to enter graduate school the following year to study marine biology. On Thursday, November 16, 1977, Sheila called a store asking if photographs she had developed were ready. Then she asked her roommates if they needed anything from the Walmart in town before leaving. The next morning, Sheila was found dead around 7.30 a.m. in a highway rest stop bathroom stall near McClure, Illinois. She had sustained two gunshot wounds to her head at close range, also from a 38 caliber weapon, just like Brenda and Mary Parsh. The coroner determined she was probably killed around 10 p.m. the previous night. Nothing was missing from her purse, which was found stuffed in a trash can near her body. The following day, Sheila's light blue Chevrolet Nova was discovered in a Walmart parking lot. The keys were in the ignition, and the purchases she made at the Walmart were in her trunk. Her roommates and parents later stated Sheila never put groceries in the trunk and would never have left the keys in the ignition. It appeared Sheila had been abducted and brought to the rest stop in another vehicle. Her autopsy showed no signs of a sexual assault, and it did not appear that she had been robbed. At a coroner's inquest, Sheila was described as a quiet, studious girl. Police quickly realized Sheila's murder was likely related to the double homicide of Brenda and Mary. They issued a statement to the public saying, these murders might be the work of one psychotic individual. They also said the public should exercise extreme caution. Women should not travel alone, should be cautious when shopping, should not open doors without being aware of who it is at the door, and should report any unusual or suspicious activity immediately to the police. Police sent bullets from both crime scenes for ballistics testing to be compared, but the results came back inconclusive. On May 12, 1978, 51-year-old Virginia Witt's husband returned to their Marion, Illinois home and found his wife deceased and lying nude on her bed. Initial observation of the scene indicated that Mrs. Witt had a large wound in her abdomen, apparently caused by a knife slash, and also had a knife protruding from her chest. Her autopsy revealed she died from a combination of choking and stabbing. The groceries she bought on the morning of her murder were still lying on the counter. Detectives collected over 100 pieces of evidence, but the case eventually went cold. Like the murders of Mary, Brenda, and Sheila the previous year, it appeared Virginia was ambushed by her attacker. On May 23, 1979, 29-year-old Joyce Tharp's nude body was found by a floral delivery person behind a church in Paducah, Kentucky. The previous day, her family reported her missing, when they found a broken window in her apartment and couldn't locate her. An autopsy determined her cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head and strangulation. Just like the murders of Brenda and Mary, 
Joyce's killer must have entered her apartment through a window. On September 7, 1981, a neighbor heard screams coming from the Mount Vernon, Illinois home of 72-year-old Ida White. When the neighbor looked out their window toward Ida's home, they saw a perpetrator leave through Ida's bathroom window. She described him as a black male with rough facial hair. The elderly woman was found in her bathtub with multiple stab wounds to her abdomen. She was quickly rushed to the hospital, but later died from her injuries. A man named Grover Thompson was found across the street sleeping in the post office parking lot and was brought in for questioning and put in a lineup. The lineup, however, did not contain anyone except Thompson. The witness reluctantly identified Thompson, though his clothing did not match the description she had originally given to the officers. Despite a lack of evidence, Thompson was convicted of Ida's murder and was sentenced to 40 years in prison. In 1996, he died. On January 27, 1982, 57-year-old Margie Call was found deceased in her Cape Girardeau, Missouri home. She had been shot with a 38 caliber gun after being sexually assaulted. The perpetrator entered her home through a window. Blood evidence was found at the scene, but with no suspect to compare it to, the case went cold. Deborah Shepard was described as a bright, friendly college student. In 1982, she was just 23 years old and was two weeks away from graduating from Southern Illinois University when her life was taken. She was found deceased in her Carbondale, Illinois apartment. She was found with no obvious signs of trauma and police initially assumed she died of a drug overdose. Her autopsy determined pulmonary edema was the cause of her death. However, her family was skeptical. They had a second autopsy performed, which determined her cause of death was strangulation. Police collected a shirt found at the scene and kept it as evidence. Deborah Shepard was one in a series of young women killed in Carbondale, Illinois around this time. The police quickly stated there was no connection between Deborah's death and the previous killings. On June 21, 1983, 65-year-old Mildred Wallace was found deceased in her Cape Girardeau home. She had been shot with a 38 caliber weapon. Mrs. Wallace had been bound and blindfolded. A window in her bedroom appeared to be the entry point for the intruder. In 2007, police reopened the investigation into Deborah Shepard's case. They ran forensic tests on the shirt obtained from the scene, and there was a match to a man who had been in prison since 1983, Timothy Kracher. Let's talk a little bit about Kracher's background. At age five, he broke into a neighbor's home, destroyed property inside, and urinated on the floor. At age six, he was arrested for petty theft of a bicycle. As a young man, Kracher became sexually obsessed with his own mother. He also began peeping on neighbors. He clearly showed signs of being extremely disturbed his entire life. Although Kracher was in and out of prison quite a bit, after one release in 1981, he earned a bachelor's degree in administration of justice from Southern Illinois University, where he minored in psychology. 
He later stated these studies helped him to be a better criminal. In 1983, so one year after he had killed Deborah Shepard, Kreacher was arrested in Allentown, Pennsylvania, after someone reported a suspicious man in a parking lot. He was found with a gun and was subsequently arrested on a firearms charge. Later that same year, he tried to escape from the prison and broke his leg during the attempt. He was convicted of assault and sentenced to five years. After he was released from the Pennsylvania prison in 1988, Kreacher was transferred to the Big Muddy Correctional Center in Southern Illinois to serve sentences for parole violations. He was civilly committed as a sexually dangerous person and was confined on those terms from 1989 to 2007, when DNA evidence from Deborah's murder linked him to the killing. Initially, upon being interviewed regarding the murder, Kreacher denied any involvement, but after police confronted him with the DNA evidence, he confessed. He said he broke in, attempted to force Deborah to perform oral sex, then strangled her. He was charged with first-degree murder, and while awaiting sentencing, Cape Girardeau, Missouri investigators caught wind of the news. They wanted to speak to him, too. Authorities agreed to not seek the death penalty in Missouri if Kreacher told the truth about his crimes. Ultimately, he confessed to nine more murders. Those of Brenda and Mary Parsh and Sheila Cole in 1977, Virginia Witt in 1978, Joyce Tharp and Myrtle Rupp in 1979, and Ida White, Deborah Shepard, and Mildred Wallace in 1982. It was also confirmed that Timothy Kreacher was the bandana rapist who covered his face with a bandana and terrorized women in their homes and in parking lots across four states. Currently, Timothy Kreacher is being held at the Pontiac Correctional Center in Illinois. He is serving an 80-year sentence. If he is ever released, he will be transferred to Missouri to serve 13 life sentences. He later confessed and he had absolutely no remorse for any of the crimes he committed. Kreacher is truly a sick and dangerous individual. It's really tragic it took 10 murders, multiple sexual assaults, and robberies for this man to be stopped for good. Hopefully, at least the families of these victims can gain some peace knowing their loved one's attacker will die in prison. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the podcast, please rate and share. To stay updated on new episodes and to see photos related to each episode, please check out facebook.com slash swansongpod. If you have a case you would like to hear covered, you can email me at swansongpod at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you.